0: For the 430 Movie. The 430 Movie Podcast is available weekly wherever you listen to podcasts and on the free Electric Now app. Download it today. If you felt a great disturbance in the Force, you're not wrong. My new book, Secrets of the Force, is now available in hardcover, digital, and audio from St. Martin's Press. And check out my other great oral histories with Ed Gross of Star Trek, the 50-year mission. So say we all, the complete oral history of Battlestar Galactica. And nobody does it better, the complete oral history of James Bond and Spymania. All available in hardcover, paperback, digital, and audio wherever you buy your books. Best Movies Never Made as featured in Entertainment Weekly is available wherever you listen to podcasts and on the free Electric Now app. Captain, the Kiev, there's a life sign. Someone is alive inside that ship. We need to set course for the Veruba Nebula. Hang on! Keep an eye on your radiation levels. We'll still need to be back in four hours.
2: Whatever answers we find.
1: I just hope they're enough. A ship approaching. She's got weapons locked. Ready to jump. No, we can't leave them.
2: Raines, to the briefing room. This is Peter Holmstrom. I'm a screenwriter for the sci-fi television show Pandora, as well as author of The Center Seat, 55 Years of Star Trek, a companion book to the hit documentary series by the Nacelle Company.
1: In stores right now. And this is Lisa Clank. I was a writer on Star Trek Deep Space Nine and Voyager, and I currently have a short story out in the first issue of Star Trek Explorer magazine.
2: And this is a Trexpert's briefing room where industry professionals curate audio commentaries with the creators, creatives, and diehard fans of the Star Trek franchise. Universe-altering events are no strangers to the Star Trek franchise, possibly the first being in the Alternative Factor where the universe blinked. Since the 1960s, the standards of the viewers expect from sci-fi explanations of these events has increased, and writers who are not expected to have PhDs in astrophysics call upon scientists to advise them on today's show. We have two scientists who currently advise on the Star Trek franchise. Dr. Aaron McDonald, who I guess you could say is the advisor at large for the whole Star Trek franchise uh, and returning guest to the show. uh, Professor Mohammed Noor, who advised on the the last few seasons of Star Trek Discovery. Thank you both for being here.
3: Yeah, thanks for having us. Really excited about it.
1: So, uh, Dr. McDonald, why don't you tell us uh, how you got involved in Star Trek in the first place?
3: yeah, you know, I've always been a fan of science fiction. Um, and I always also was really interested in space. I didn't get into Star Trek until much later when I was in college, surrounded by a lot of Star Trek fans who were also getting degrees in physics. And uh, in terms of how I came around to actually working on the franchise, I when I left academia, I started giving talks at conventions on the science behind science fiction. And it's from there that I actually met Lisa, for example, in one of those. um but, I've met a lot of sort of writers and creatives and I moved out to Los Angeles a few years ago and got kind of looped into the writing scene out here. And with all of the expanding content for Star Trek after Professor Nora and I advised on this season, uh, season three of Star Trek Discovery, they brought me on to be sort of, like you said, the advisor at large as a resource for all the shows they have in production right now, which right now we've got five. So
1: it's quite a bit.
2: It is quite a bit. So we have so we have Discovery, we have Picard, we have Lower Decks, we have Prodigy and oh, it's Strange New Worlds. Of
1: course, Strange New Worlds. Yeah, so
2: that's, that's amazing. <laughs> that is so cool. I imagine, too, like, especially with animation, the, the possibilities are just so much more than, than with live action. So I, your job must be quite a lot harder for
3: that. <laughs> it's, it's a lot of fun. And it depends. It's so funny because with the two animated shows between Lower Decks and Prodigy, both have very different tones. Yeah. <laughs> and so, um, we uh, had a great conversation for the season two finale of Lower Decks. Where Mike McMahon called me and he's like, "I just want to strip down the ship and make it look naked and weird." And can we do that? And
2: how can we do that?
3: <laughs> so, um, little things like that is really, really fun. Um, yeah,
2: that's amazing. Uh, Professor Nora, I know, I know you've told the story before on the show, but do you want to tell again right here? How did you get looped into Star Trek Discovery?
4: Sure. So, well, I mean, I had, I had been a Star Trek fan pretty much since I was a kid, so I've been following all along. Uh, I, I guess I, I, got, I got looped in in part thanks to a talk that Dr. Aaron McDonald and I gave together. <laughs> we gave a talk at DragonCon, and some of the people who came to that talk were um, Mary Chifo and Jane Brooke and Ken Mitchell, all from Star Trek Discovery. They actually came just to like, watch the talk, which was kind of amazing. Uh, Jane actually came up afterwards and said, hey, I'm a Duke alum, which you know, I, I teach at Duke University. And, and uh, as we know, of course, Lisa's a Duke alum, too. So, you know, we got to be friends, we got to chatting and I mentioned to her that I was really interested in, you know, some sort of opportunity for consulting. And she relayed that to one of the writers who then uh, related up to the showrunner. And it was great. That first meeting I had with the show and she said, yeah, we're actually bringing somebody else on to help with the show. I was like, oh yeah, who's that? Like, it's an astrophysicist named Dr. Aaron McDonald. I we like, yep, yep, full circle.
3: <laughs> we know each other very well and already the worked very well together. news I heard was when it was going to be both of us.
4: <laughs> you know, exactly the same thing. So that, that was a fantastic start. So since that time, I'm, I like to say that uh, Aaron is the sheriff of science in Star Trek, and I'm somebody who gets deputized occasionally to help out periodically. So. You know, I've been helping with
2: Discovery, and then I have a little bit with uh, Prodigy, and you know where I can help is good. <laughs> That's fantastic. Uh, so, listeners out there, we are watching today Star Trek Discovery season three, episode eleven. Uh, how do you pronounce this episode, Lisa? It's it's got So-Kal. a sue call. Sue call. There good we go. I like it. I like it. <laughs> All right, Sue call. Season three, episode eleven. In three, two, one. Engage
1: previously on Star Trek were you guys involved in uh, developing the concept of the burn from the beginning then came um, yeah.
3: we were brought in a little bit in later so they had kind of built out the whole story area for the season they had mm-hmm. the idea that they were going to have um, the idea of the burn something that destroyed all the, the dilithium and they wanted it to be a child on a planet who cried that caused it. Spoiler alert for this episode. <laughs> so, um, and and then they kind of realized, it's you know, that was the emotional arc that they wanted to build through the season, but then they wanted to uphold the tradition that Star Trek always has of having a scientific backbone to that story. So they had sort of the broad strokes, as you do at the beginning of breaking a season, and then they looped us in to kind of help build the framework for that journey. Uh,
4: Timing-wise, this was... What was it? I guess it was probably like March. No, no it was like this was like May 2020. I think is when we started working on that. Is that right? No, no, sorry, 2019. Oh, wrong year. 2019. 20... Yeah, 2019. Yeah. Woo. <laughs> so it was it was way early, and, and there was pieces that didn't get worked in. That like they initially proposed, like, well, maybe this will be you know rather than a kelpie and something else, and then and then you know that evolved over time. So we, we got updates as we talked to them about what the what the physics you know, on Aaron's side would be and the biology would be on my
3: side. He yes, we kind of were assigned to divide and conquer in terms of the two areas that they wanted. There was the biology of the child and how they would interact and then I had to build up the physics of the dilithium and how that impact could could be caused.
4: It was fun because we had we had like one contract for the two of us, and then we also had like separate contracts for some other individual parts of the season that didn't have anything to do with this.
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah, which ended up ended up being the same episode, but totally different storylines. <laughs> <And, laughs> exactly. Um, yeah, it was like I I think I had the A story and you had the B story. That's exactly what we were it was. like, Hey, we're on the same episode. Yep. Um, but yeah, it was it was really intimidating for me because they were relying so much on dilithium. That I had to kind of go back through and learn all we knew about dilithium <laughs> and canon, <laughs> and A figure plan. out <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> just from the beginning to be yeah. perfectly clear, and uh, and then try to science some extra stuff to it, you know, to to build on what was already there, not counteract anything that they had already said, but be able to add science that could then be built into this storyline.
1: So were they clear that they wanted you to be consistent with with what had been established before
3: um i think yeah that there's always an effort to do that i i think if it's possible you know i i can't actually think of any time that we've come up to something that's directly contradicted past star trek it's more of this would be great to have and i think we've always been able to work that in and you know easter eggs and stuff are always fun too but but just to build on what's already there, I don't want to make the, you know, memory alpha Wikipedias explode <laughs> by bringing <Yeah>. everything.
4: <laughs> that a lot problem. Was what I was going to say. I mean, we, irrespective of what they'd say, I think Aaron and I would very much try not to do that already because mm-hmm. we're, we're fans too. We don't want to. We don't want to create commotion. <laughs>
3: You know, one kind of funny thing, though, is like they never really explicitly say in Star Trek whether dilithium was like a new thing or whether it was like some weird combination of lithium atoms. Like, is it mm. a dilithium, which the structure of those atoms you can't really do, but it's the future. Um, for the purposes, we made the executive decision. Nope, dilithium is new and not a compound of lithium because that will be too hard. <laughs>
5: so yeah.
4: I love the angle that, that, that we discussed in that, in the context of the dye the, the di and dilithium, maybe having the spa- the, the baryonic matter and the subspace components. So, those are the two components. So, baryonic matter, well, I should let you explain that rather than me, but <laughs> the <laughs> okay. normal space and the subspace components coming together. So, that's yeah, the connection sure. between them
3: trying to think of what that where that name then would have come from and uh, because the burn happens relatively instantaneously part of the season arc is that they are able to triangulate it but only after fractions of seconds Um, that meant that it had to happen faster than the speed of light and so as a classic sort of star trek go-to then we're gonna throw it in subspace (laughs) which is (laughs) the, the dimension outside of our normal space and so dilithium has to then have some sort of subspace component in order for that to happen.
4: So, Aaron, there was a quick reference just now to the Verubin Nebula.
3: Yes, <laughs> do you you want to yeah. say a comment
4: about that? <laughs> <laughs> yes.
3: I mean, I'm, I'm going to try to not get way too in the weeds with this, but um, <laughs> originally, uh, and they have this nebula that they're going into right now is the Veruben Nebula, which is high concentrations of dark matter. In the backbone that we never, I think, made it into the show or that they talk about at all, that dark matter has the same sort of subspace component that dilithium does so we invented these like subspace (laughs) subatomic particles that are shared between dilithium has those as well as dark matter Um, because in the future at some point we figured out what dark matter is made of and and it has this and so that tied to dark matter then led us to well we had to come up with a name for the nebula and Vera Rubin was a famous woman astronomer from the early 1900s who discovered dark matter and again like many at the time did not get the res- recognition she deserved in the moment and so this was a nice opportunity for us to give a little nod to her so it's called the Rubin nebula that's great
0: transport him now
3: yeah i'm really happy with that
0: <laughs> i was very happy <laughs> they
3: went, i was very happy they went to it i think Again, like, Star Trek just has a legacy of of incorporating real science, but also Mm -hmm. recognizing the legacy of science throughout our culture. Mm
1: -hmm. So do you typically get a script uh, to review, or do they just call you when they have specific questions?
3: Um, Yeah, for all of the shows, I will typically get the production draft, so when it normally goes to the production office, then I'll get a draft regardless if I've been helping on the story or not, and then I'll review that, and that goes for all the shows. And that'll be little wordsmithing, little dialogue things, maybe a little tweak to the plot, but usually nothing major. It's usually just minor wordsmithing that you would do. Um, but for some shows, they'll bring me in at the story area. And then some of these shows that I've worked on, you know, for multiple seasons now will will bring me in when they're breaking the season in the early yeah. sort of mini room. And um, just to, you know, whether it's one visit or going in regularly, just to kind of help brainstorm and bounce some ideas around like you would kind of you know, as a member of the writer's room, just kind of pitching and throwing ideas out and answering questions. Um so that that's really fun for me.
1: Yeah.
4: Yeah. Because Dr. Aramish, for this particular episode, they they brought us in like well before they had a script. I mean they were still uh, uh figuring it out. So we had we had phone calls which, with um was with Michelle Paradise and was it Sean Cochran? Was that who the other one was with?
3: Uh yeah, that was for the other episode. Oh, was but episode. it was yeah, mostly sorry. for with Michelle yeah. for this just one. With
4: Michelle Paradise, yeah. So we basically just chat with her. She'd, she'd give us sort of an outline of what the problem is and then send us off. So then, you know, Dr. Aaron and I would get on the phone. And we'd, we'd have like a Google Doc. We always do the shared Google Doc and toss ideas in there, sketch things out, and then have a couple of quick emails and then possibly a follow-up call. So that's that was all well before the script stage for this particular episode. Yeah, um, we
3: wrote a lot of... Concept documents for (laughs) that. Yeah,
4: we did a few different drafts, and then things would change. It's like, oh, that part's no longer appropriate.
5: (laughs)
3: Yeah, you know, fair
4: enough. You know, I'm reading that
3: there is dilithium. Yeah, so they're right now. Then they're discovering this like heavy dilithium rich planet. They've traced the signal of the burn back to this planet, and they are um, that's inside the Barubin Nebula, and as part of the season arc, dilithium is very very rare. So they have kind of two motivations here to. To go in there and get the, uh, the source of the burn, uh, solve the problem, as it were. Can you have a planet of inside of
2: uh, inside of a nebula. That seems <sighs> like. Yeah,
3: okay. I, you can, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, you can. Um, it, it just depends what your strict definition of planet is, uh, right? Because okay. okay. uh, in terms of space, the cycle, life cycle of stars and solar systems, um, you kind of start with a nebula, which is just a big cloud of dust and gas. Nebula is a catch-all for a lot of stuff. Okay. And then in that nebula, depending on how dense it is, you'll start to get things accreting, kind of like a snowball effect. That mm. They'll get a little heavier and a little heavier, Um, And then sometimes that will, there will be so much matter and it'll get so hot and so heavy that a star will ignite out of that Mm. just from Mm. the friction and the pressure and the remaining dust will coalesce into um, planets and, you know, and asteroids and comets and all the other things that we see. Um, But that's not to say that you can't have like rogue bodies, right, that have just kind of accreted a bunch of matter together, but there's maybe no star around Mm. it, or there's nothing to sort of populate anything there other than just the material that's been around it. So Mm. I'll give it a little bit of a pass. (laughs) (laughs) But if you're saying that a planet has to go around a star, again, it just depends what your definition is.
2: I, uh, I watched an episode of Enterprise the other day. Uh, it's called Rogue Planet, and the idea is yeah. this planet was just a rogue planet, and it had life on it, and yeah, I, I'm and like, planets I don't know if that's quite right. It's
4: <laughs> <obvious>. <laughs> But Maybe they're using great. geothermal energy inside of them. Sure. <laughs> yeah, no, no, that, makes, that makes sense. Sorry. Actually, I have a question for uh, Dr. Aaron. Right? This is not exactly Star Trek related, but have you been watching the news lately? <laughs> There's this discussion about these two giant uh, black holes that are converging upon each other. Have you been, hear, yeah. you been following this? Yeah, uh,
3: A little bit, but yeah. I um, So my background was in gravitational waves, which is yeah. specifically what, what I was looking at was uh, what we've now detected, which is coalescing binaries. So like two massive black holes. And, um, and this is like, they're just orbiting each other, right? These are like supermassive ones that they discovered orbiting each other. Um, so yeah, with, with gravitational waves, we're learning a lot about um, about what's possibly out there, which is exciting. By number one, and will be in charge.
2: I was just going to say, it's one of my favorite things when I'm the stupidest person in a room. It's it's great. It's a great feeling. It's a great feeling. It is it, it ignites my own curiosity. It's, it's awesome. Yes, sir. One of the things
4: that just came up in here is the discussion about the effect of the radiation on whatever is down there. So that that was the biological challenge we had to face in the sense of like, okay, so this has to be bad for the crew, but somehow this this random kelpian who's down there has to have been okay for a hundred years. So. I don't know if you yeah. want to go into it now or wait till we get there, but it's it's something that we. I we think we'll get. have
3: other stuff to get into once we're down on the planet. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> yeah, and I actually don't remember what we landed on with that. That um,
4: was so it's it's interesting. I mean, part of it is he has to be different from everything else. So that was a fundamental piece to it. Fortunately, he he was he had been there since the point at which he was conceived. So. This gives us the opportunity to do something that would have happened like when he was still like a one-celled embryo and it was propagated from there on. So there are some microbes. Actually, there's there's some, you know, big organisms too, but there's some microbes that have multiple copies of their genome. So we get one copy of all our genes from our mom, one copy of all our genes from our dad, right? Uh, There's a lot of plants that have more than two copies. They might have four copies or eight copies or things like that. But there's some microbes that are like that, that one of the things that allows them to do is it allows them to be potentially sometimes a little bit more radiation resistant because there's more templates that can be used for repair. So one of the things we proposed in this, and this doesn't actually come up in this episode, but it comes up uh, as a passing comment by Dr. Culber in the next episode, is that Sukal, who's down there, is actually a polyploid. So that, you know, potentially allows there to be some difference from, of him relative to Saru, who goes down and does have negative effects, but that makes him potentially a little bit more radiation resistant. Now, it is assuming he has some sort of uh, error repair things that uses that uses other chromosomes as templates. There's a lot of assumptions worked in there, but it's not totally crazy. It can't actually work in that regard. So that, that was a pretty exciting thing to work in there.
3: Yeah, yeah. It just talked about doing DNA recombination to heal yes. book. And yes. yeah, do you want to go into that?
4: Sure. Bit? I mean, DNA recombination, is interesting. People think of it in the context of like uh, getting different combinations of genes, as the word seems to imply. That's sort of the classical usage. But there's another kind of more technical sort of DNA recombination, which is essentially is what I was basically describing before, using one, one, te- one copy as a template for a repair of breaks in the other one. So that is exactly what probably would be done in this sort of context there but in, in terms of helping book or helping anybody who has some radiation exposure. And we have enzymes
2: that will do this for us, so thankfully. <laughs> you're, you're, you're trying to justify the old uh, heel with a transporter thing that they did yeah. in, uh, <laughs> in older Star Trek. And, and I appreciate
4: it. <laughs> right, right. There's an interesting consequence, though, of Saru being a polyploid, which we didn't go into, and, I, and I'm hoping this doesn't become a problem later down the road, <laughs> is that he probably would not be infertile with any other Kelpians. <laughs> mm-hmm. He basically is a new species. Mm-hmm. But that can with, happen.
3: Uh, not hmm? Saru, Sukal. I'm sorry, Sukal. Yeah, yeah, my yeah. Ones. Yeah,
4: Sukal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's something that if you, if you have, say, something that has four copies of all its chromosomes, something that has two, usually they can't, they, they'll make these, these three copy ones. It doesn't work very well in general. Though so again, we always have the excuse of
1: aliens, it's different. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, there's good. always hand waving with aliens. <laughs> <Yeah>. Exactly. Uh-huh. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you can't go, Hugh.
1: So is it possible that the DNA recombination could actually be used in medicine, like human medicine?
4: Yeah. yeah. I mean, it, it, it is basically what our cells already do to try to heal these kinds of things. So I guess what it would be is, is not that we're actually doing recombination, but maybe we're you know adding enzymes that facilitate recombination or just helping the process along. But the, I mean, our cells already do this. So I mean, it's not actually doing something that, that's
2: unnatural in some way. So yeah, but in some way, could it be facilitated? Sure. Absolutely. Great question. Yeah. <laughs> there's a point just in the aging process that that sort of thing calms down a bit right it's like isn't that the current theory with aging is that eventually your cells are just like we're just tired of reproducing and, that's, you know, that's, that's,
4: that's less of a recombination than more of the telomeres, so the caps ah. on the end of chromosomes basically as it's making copies it kind of loses the very end and they get a little bit shorter with more and more cell divisions and at some point then it it, it you lose the cap in time it starts going into like actual genes and stuff so that mm. that's problematic when that happens <laughs> no you there there are enzymes that, you, that can be uh, put in to actually you know add back more of those like telomere caps like enzymes called not shockingly telomerase <laughs> <laughs> every enzyme ends with ace pretty much so <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's that's one of the causes of aging right now is, is that that shrinking of telomeres and that's how I think I actually came up in an enterprise episode. It's one that you pointed out to me at one point, Doctor Aaron.
5: But yeah, the, I think um, so.
4: Yeah. where they where they were where Flocks was trying to age somebody, and he looked at the length of his telomeres, and that's how he figured out how old the the oh I remember what it was. It was the sample uh, when the Vulcan consulate had the explosion. It was the sample of DNA that oh, yeah. was there <laughs> matched to Pal, but they figured out it was to Pal as a baby, not.
2: <laughs> Not like adult to bow based on the length of the telomeres. That's what it was. Yeah, we we actually just watched that episode recently with uh, Andre Baranis on. Oh, uh, he perfect. We've uh, already talked about that. it <laughs> did. Yeah, but your recall was way quicker than mine. I was like, wait a minute, I know this. It's <laughs> <laughs> like boom, it's that episode. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm very tuned to the genetics one, so
1: <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, professor, no, your background is evolutionary biology. Is that right?
4: That's correct. Yeah, well, it's, it's kind of a mixture of evolution and genetics. But yeah, it's, it's heavier on the evolution side. That doesn't come up as much in Star Trek, at least in a good way. <laughs> <laughs> it's this little
3: shiny
4: spot. Yeah, a lot of my research has been trying to understand what are the genetic changes it takes to make new species, so primarily using fruit flies.
3: Which hmm. hmm. is useful when it comes to developing new aliens now. Yes. <laughs> that one little line about polyploids—you're just gonna live forever in, in <laughs> classrooms. <Forever. laughs> Polyploid
4: is now in memory alpha.
3: <laughs> I love that. That's awesome. Yeah, I think that's been one of the things that, just as a Star Trek fan, it carries a lot of like. It's not something I ever want to convey as like a burden because I think it's a burden that like a lot of people would want to have and probably go to great lengths to have. But like the the weight of adding canonical scientific background to Star Trek is a lot. And that's I think if there's one thing that kind of keeps you up at night, it's uh-huh. just that like, oh my God, did I miss like one episode where they said something that <laughs> like didn't get archived somewhere because I can't, you know, every time they ask me a question, I can't watch like 750 episodes to make sure something's not in there. So thankfully though, I think I think Star Trek fans are are very understanding. They are very <laughs> com- compassionate, and they understand the enthusiasm. And also, if anyone does start to get very angry, it's not like there hasn't been a legacy of like other missteps. So, very true. Very Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. get
1: you
5: the life Shields at thirty-five percent.
1: So, are there actually medications that can help you uh, if you know that you're going to be getting uh, exposed to radiation? The answer to that, I'm sorry. <laughs> well,
3: well, like yeah. what's interesting, like sunscreen, for example, is kind of that, right? That That's true, That's ultraviolet radiation, and
4: I've done pre- uh, this preventing it, yeah,
3: yeah, yeah. I've done these like kind of fun science museum experiments, quote things, where you can see the rate, radi- uh, ultraviolet radiation hitting your skin, and then you put sunscreen on, and you see that like it's totally blocked. And then the SPF just uh, talks to like how long the effectivity stays. Mm -hmm. And so um, you have like your skin based on like the melanin content and other things will already give you a predetermined time that you're resistant to ultraviolet radiation. And then the ultra and then the SPF level will like boost that. Um, when I did this, because this was a museum I was working at, so they had kind of the staff play around with the different aspects. Um, mine was eight minutes because <laughs> my genetics are from like North Scotland. And so oh. I can last for eight minutes in the sun before I start to get <laughs> the effects of ultraviolet radiation. So, yeah, knock out that know. SPF 100.
4: Is <laughs> SPF linear or is it log?
3: It's log, I believe, but I might be making that up. I'm right. recalling. A long time ago, I think it's lock.
2: <laughs> gotcha. It was actually one of my favorite things from. Uh, oh, that's Doug Jones. Uh, <laughs> one of my favorite things from a, a different uh, different series, uh, uh, The Expanse. There was an episode where like someone has to spend a long time in space without yeah. without any protective gear on. And when she uh, comes out of it, you just see her skin is just covered with burns because there's yeah. just, there's yeah. so much just ambient radiation just in space that we, we just don't even think about.
3: Whatever. Yeah, that was great. That was like, it's something that's so overlooked when you talk about like going to Mars, for example. Yeah. It's like, there's, there's other problems, but <laughs> radiation is a big one. <laughs> uh, that's not something we're quite ready
4: yet. No, I'm talking about how the the cold isn't as nearly as bad a problem as people make it out to be. People make it out like you're just going to turn into a cube of ice. Like no, it's because there's no conduction, right? It's it's just, yeah. it's, just it's just space, like it says. <laughs> <laughs>
2: but Arnold having his eyes pop out. It looks so cool. <laughs> that? yeah. That's, That's obviously recall
3: <laughs> I always love to see how science fiction handles yes. <laughs> moments in a vacuum in space because everyone kind of does it differently. I think the most intense one I saw was uh, in the, uh, I don't want to spoil anything, but it was in For All Mankind. Mm-hmm. They had yeah. a moment where they were exposed to space and it was brutal. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Um, I will say we did not science any of the species changing appearance that is happening on the dilithium planet right now. (laughs)
2: Yeah, we had, uh, well, Muhammad joined us on uh, the episode of uh, Genesis from The Next Generation where everyone goes yes. through massive, uh, massive <laughs> changes. <laughs> and it's like, I don't know that, how any of this works. <laughs> that's Spider Barkley. Oh, so good. So good. I love yes. it.
3: <laughs> yeah,
2: awesome. Uh, that's so funny. Spider Barkley haunts my Barkley. mind. <laughs> <laughs> right, really? Where's that figure? I want that action figure. Playmates, get on that, please. <laughs>
4: I love it. Actually, uh, Dr. Aaron just recently gave me a, a half lizard Tom Paris one.
1: <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. Mine's right behind
4: me. Mine's
2: right. Wow, wow. Yeah, it's right behind this blue screen. Can I see? I uh, is it, can I see it? I want to see it. Let uh, okay. mine's grab it. Okay, mine okay, too. Uh, he's got it. <laughs> That's so cool. Oh,
5: okay.
3: Yeah, I was like, because threshold is just something that like both of us are always asked about, you yes, know? I'm sure. So it's it's like so close to my heart in a weird way. I did the uh I did the Star Trek podcast with um... oh my god
2: oh yeah, wow. look at that it's so fun that's awesome I love it <laughs> that's so cool
3: and uh yes. I I opened my action figure there's actually three little lizard babies in there
2: <laughs> wow, that's amazing so I love good kind of see them in, the, in there yeah, that's
3: so great. great. Oh yeah, oh, yeah. So you mean, <laughs> you, mean, you
2: mean you mean Tom Paris's and uh, Catherine Janeway's children? Yes, they yes. are. They are right. Yes. <laughs> so actually, yeah. I was I was pointing out this. To we don't actually know it's
4: both their kids because we don't know if those are our. Um... Uh, We don't know. There's some salamanders that are essentially unisexual. So maybe like (laughs) two are Janeways and one's (laughs) Sparicist.
2: That's a good point. That's a good point. Wow.
3: If we start trying to science threshold, we're going to go
2: down a dark path. (laughs) (laughs) A dark but glorious path.
4: Yeah, (laughs) exactly. (laughs) Yeah, I love that flying thing there.
3: Yeah, that's a cool design. Yeah.
1: That's a cool design. Yeah, this whole planet is really... Uh, The production design is terrific.
3: It's like no one wants that door to open. Yeah, being able to kind of create this hollow world that's kind of all born out of someone's mind and memories um, is just a really cool concept. Mm
5: It's familiar.
2: It is such a benefit that, uh, you know, wasn't in Star Trek really before 2009, was just the ability to to have your imagination really come to life in this way, just through the aid of computer graphics and and, uh, digital technology. For sure,
3: and we're um, just meeting Sukal here. But one of the things that drew them to this planet was hearing this lullaby all throughout space. That that was kind of the signal that they were triangulating. That is what made Saru realize that there was a Kelpian on the surface. Mm-hmm. And we had an interesting sort of very specific wordsmithing we did in one of the episodes because they were picking up this lullaby, but you. But you can't hear anything in space, right? Right. And so it was like, so how do you phrase that? And it was that they were picking up a signal that, when translated to an audible frequency, sounded like this song. And so gotcha. you can pick up, you know, electromagnetic signals that are at 100 hertz or you know whatever the uh, audible range is that you can then just translate into sound. Um, a lot of the gravitational wave physicists really like to do that because gravitational waves live in uh, near the audible range, and so a lot of their uh, like ringtone notifications will be like <laughs> a a actual gravitational wave signal. <laughs> Scan one life sign down here.
2: Some poor alien is picking up all of our ringtones. <laughs> it's just yeah
3: exactly um so yeah it's like those little details when you ask me about you know getting the scripts and reviewing those that's the exact type of example i would give for just editing a line just to make sure it's like scientifically clear without worrying about any of the story around it why the lullaby is going through space at electromagnetic frequencies we don't care because that's not part of the story
2: (laughs) so we treat this as our first contact
4: Love that. So that's a comment that Dr. Aaron McDonald often makes when it, uh, at conventions, too. When something's really tough, just don't explain it. <laughs> it's, yeah. sometimes, it's sometimes yeah. better than trying to do something that doesn't really work very well.
3: Yeah, I mean, that's a big part of conversation, even when we're... Breaking a story for an episode will be like, okay, let's brainstorm some ideas and then we'll go so deep down the rabbit hole of trying to justify why something is happening that we then, I I think that happens like with any story breaking, right? That you just kind of have to rewind and be like, no, we're in the weeds. This is not serving the story at all. So we're going to cut it now.
4: Tell my friends it's not like the you know Saru's going to get up there and give a seminar like you know with slides and go through the explanation. (laughs) That would be really
2: boring Star Trek. That's our job. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. That's what we do at conventions. (laughs) Exactly.
1: (laughs) I want to see a Kelpian PowerPoint. I think that would be interesting. (laughs) (laughs) Amazing.
3: I think Saru would give a great presentation. He probably would, would yeah, be very
5: engaging. Yeah.
1: <laughs> so do you guys sometimes approach the writers with story ideas? I have not.
3: No, not really. Um, other than just kind of in that pitching early ones. With these, uh, you know, Star Trek now is so different from what it was mostly in the episode orders and so the fact that we only have 10 to 13 episodes most of them are 10 i think discovery's had 13 in the last couple um there's not really room for that you know it's very uh serialized stories that they map out the whole season before you know it's really even broken but um but that said i think you know we mentioned the other episode that we worked on with Sean Cochran, um, was it episode eight, I was wrong. five, five, thank you. Um,
4: I trying with the name of it.
3: <laughs> thank you. See, <laughs> this is why we work well together. Um, that, that was more of like a generic idea, like for me, with the, with the science role from the astronomy side, Sean literally was like, hey, let's come up with a space disaster. Here's here's the boxes we need to tick, and so in some sense that's pitching story, right? Mm-hmm. That we can come up with what that would look like and how that affects the plot. But um, but I'm not coming in saying like, guys, let's do a space disaster, <laughs> right? So yeah, maybe not.
2: Which is part of the shame, really, of modern television is that you lose the opportunity to have like a, a freelance script from from the science advisors or from you know whomever out there. I mean, we yeah, so many. Uh, great writers today got their starts uh you know noreen R- and yeah, andre is right that's they got their start first as science advisors and then uh writers after that
3: yeah and i will say like both Narain and andre have been very generous with me and helping mentor me into like those next steps because the landscape is so different and mm-hmm. knowing that that's kind of the path that i wanted to go down mm. um they've given me a lot of great advice like for example you know i I get to shadow the rooms um, for some of the rooms that going on a regular basis and just watching a writer's room, learning, you know, learning a lot about that process. uh, That's something that at the very least, it's like I feel now after kind of two and a half years of learning and studying and really being in the room, even though I might not be in a position where I can pitch for the show that I'm on right now, I do feel like prepped to be a staff writer in a science fiction room. You know, it's like I understand the process really, really well at this point. And so that training is still there. But, like you said, the the absence of doing freelance pitches and having a 26 episode order yeah. to have that bandwidth. Yeah. Because, as always, getting assigned your first script is a big leap in the industry. Yeah. And so, yeah.
4: You have a story that just won a competition or got to be a finalist in a competition right now, right?
3: Yeah. I mean, I, I've been really kind of spending the last year or so really refining my own stories and, and learning how to write. Myself, and uh, it's been great. It's exciting. I really hope to follow in the path that that those other science advisors have gone on. There's a, there's very few of us out there who got our start in this industry as science advisors for Star Trek. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, yeah.
1: You're right. I mean, there there has been an established path for that, so it's it's good that they're uh, kind of taking you in hand and and showing you how it's done. What
3: are you- yeah, I'm really really grateful, and honestly, like once I I kind of looked at it from that perspective it's very clear how that path can be made you know Mm. and that's where i said i feel really strong at this point that i'm well on that path and you know ready to walk into a room if if that opportunity came up and so um yeah it's it's really great i'm really grateful for it Wait,
2: wait i'll tell you what this creature here is creepy yeah. That's exactly what I was about to say. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm not a fan of worms particularly. Uh, yeah. But yeah, well, we're, awesome. we're pontificating <laughs> on
3: uh, a career growth. We're also watching Burnham yes. like, in a haunted house of horrors.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah, no, this is a really good monster. It, yeah, no, it is. It is. Really good. Very compelling.
2: Oh, I, I forget. was. This, was this the season that was halted because of COVID, or was this? Um, was that the, net, the they next? They were season? almost like they, I think they'd
4: done most of the filming, but they still had to do the editing and, gotcha, and things gotcha. like that, and add the music and stuff
3: like that. Class
5: planets within
3: five. Gotcha. Yeah, principal photography, principal was all done, Um gotcha, okay. and then post got held up slightly. But actually, it kind of discovery though I think was the first one to come back, right, kind right, of right, right. Uh, for season four.
4: It was
2: Picard, was, I think. That, that's the one that got really halted yeah. on COVID. Yeah. COVID. I think yeah.
4: we're up having this Lower Decks jump discovery in terms of the launch yeah. date. I think discovery was gonna come out before the first season of Lower Decks, but then it, it ended up getting swapped. Gotcha. gotcha. Uh, I could be wrong about it, but that's my recollection. Yeah. Red
3: alert! Shields up!
4: We have Osiris getting there now. I guess. <laughs> I loved Osiris as a villain.
3: Yeah. Uh- They talk about these uh, transwarp tunnels that they had in season three um, as a way to get around the dilithium aspect. Um, And they're basically, it's like, uh, we've seen these before, it's uh, fixed wormholes that they know Mm. exist and have been mapped out. And the way I kind of phrased it story-wise is that um, they were always there. It's nothing new, but with, you know, the advent of trans of, uh, warp drive, you know, you just warp where you're going instead of making your way to a transwarp tunnel and then going through, um, the analogy I was giving is like, if we had a transporter, I would use that instead of getting on the freeway (laughs) (laughs) to go, to go, you know, to the Valley or something. (laughs) So, uh, it's there, I could use it, but would I? (laughs) Yeah.
1: And of course you get around a lot of things with the spore drive. Oh, wow.
3: Yeah. (laughs) Oh yeah, for sure. Um, and I think that's what's that's what's been fun. You know, Professor Nora and I didn't work on the spore drive at all. Um, that was season one and two. Um, but we've been able to kind of retcon, not retcon, like we're not undoing anything, but just sort of layering science on top of it to try to give a little bit more explanation of like, is this my SEAL network more of an analogy? Like how much of it is actual mushrooms in space right. <laughs> versus like, is it a network? that with some sort of life, you know, organic capability that exists in subspace.
5: Sure. Yeah. <laughs> so presentation. That's,
3: yeah, yeah. That's what we take going forward.
4: <laughs> I think that was what we were probably talking about in that talk I was talking about earlier at, um, at, at Dragon Con, yep. the one that, that yeah. Jane Brook and all of them came to see. Yeah.
3: Yeah. That was our discovery one. Um, yeah, awesome. yeah. We can credit Mary Chifo. Uh, we met doing conventions. She loves, coming to our science talks and always brings the cast along she she just is very enthusiastic about science and um, using star trek for education but the outside never came inside
2: we should try to get around sometime lisa i know that she's absolutely uh, she was on an episode of glorious trex i think like two years ago now or something i think you're right but, yeah
3: she's delightful yeah we've um, it's something we're both really really grateful for it's like we did become best friends through Star Trek like we wouldn't have met otherwise and I'm gonna go see her tonight we're doing a hey. reading in LA next week like we nice. do a lot of work together and nice. yeah
2: she's great it's my favorite things when you you meet people through Star Trek or or whatever fandom you have I guess but like particularly like some of my best friends I are just geek out on about Star Trek and it's it's mm. such a such a pure friendship, and it's great. <laughs> it's
5: it
4: really it's yes. fun because it's
2: just this immediate thing that you can connect immediate, with. I mean, just, so um, yesterday I met
4: uh, Scott Neal, who wrote the Deep Space Nine episode In the Cards. Turns mm-hmm. out he's a professor who lives here in Durham, North Carolina. Oh, yeah? <laughs> yeah. What are the
3: odds of that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, we talk about doing these conventions and the Star Trek crews and stuff, and I think one of the great things about that is that universality of just being a Star Trek fan. And When you meet others, it's like, you might not, you're still feeling out that common ground, but as soon as you know, you could be like, okay, so who's your favorite captain? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that ice I mean, is broken immediately.
4: Which series do you like the most? Yeah.
1: yeah. <laughs> so who's your favorite captain?
4: <laughs> I agree on that one.
1: <laughs> yeah,
3: Jane. Jane. Janeway's my captain. Janeway um, for the win. Yeah, my favorite series is Deep Space Nine. But yeah, I'm a, I'm a 90s Trek girl. <laughs> <laughs>
1: How about you, Professor Noor?
4: I the favorite series questions. I was like, I can't pick. For <laughs> well, Favorite Captain, I'm 100% with Janeway. But like for Favorite Series, ah, it's like picking among your kids. Like I don't want to pick one over the other.
3: I'm consciously giving Professor Nora a hard time about this, but he talks about Enterprise a lot. <laughs> right,
4: so that's one of the reasons I do is it's, it's like an affirmative action. game. Like, I feel like it gets so much hate and it needs to be brought back up. <laughs> it's not that I think it's the best necessarily,
5: but it
3: deserves well, so much more than it gets. <laughs> yeah, like so many people think Voyager is my favorite, not just because I have a Voyager tattoo and Jane was my favorite captain, but but I talk about it in my talks all the time. And a lot of that is just a self-fulfilling prophecy of the fact that they were in a, a new area of the galaxy. And so there was a lot of discovery that happened, and there was sure. a lot of weird space events that they came across and a lot of really mm-hmm. strong science. And then you've said the same thing with genetics in you know yeah. and biology and enterprise. They have, they, a, ton. They have a ton of it.
4: Mm-hmm. Voyager probably has the most, but I think it's because there are more episodes of Voyager than there are of Enterprise. But proportionally, Enterprise has more. That they
2: were all dying. I just love that about uh, enterprise. It's, it's it's like affirmative action. <laughs> <laughs> we just feel bad. For let's it. just let's just have that on our on our Twitter handle every time we talk about it. Why <laughs> <laughs> not a good use of that term? Let's see how long we last on Twitter. Yeah, no, not <laughs> good use of that term at all. <laughs> I
4: apologize. I just find it funny. <laughs> I'm keeping an eye on the dialogue so there's a genetics piece that's going to come up any second now <laughs> so I'm keeping yeah. an eye for when that comes up
5: <laughs> Norm's
4: I have to yeah. love every
2: time you get to see Doug Jones without like I mean Doug Jones is such a magnificent actor but yeah. and does such great work under under uh, prosthetics and under uh, suits and masks but it's, it's such a treat to see him without any of that because he's it's, Must uh, have been
1: a big relief for him too to go in and only have that minimal makeup. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. I feel <laughs> like I'm, I'm guessing at, at a certain point it's like Sockholm syndrome. Like he's just learned <laughs> to love it. Just, it's yeah. just part of his process now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a long time ago,
5: the harvesting
2: actually discovered recently his first role in hollywood was as a recurring uh, 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 i guess you would say spokesman on a mcdonald's commercials in like the late 80s oh. really? yeah. yeah and he, he he had like curly hair and kind of the 80s look to him and oh, wow. and somehow he bought a house with that money and i'm like god damn it i'm, I'm in the wrong profession i get I know, <laughs> know. that's so
3: funny yeah, I of course it was one of those things when I learned that he was Billy in Hocus Pocus. Yeah. <laughs> sure, sure. <laughs> like, that was sort of my first awareness of yeah. Silver Surfer. Seeing him yeah. as well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, it is it's a delight to see him without prosthetics on. Teach me. Sweet man. Forgive me, my programming is unstable.
4: I love I love Sukal's sort of childlike approach. That you know, it just makes sense. I mean, he hasn't really grown up. I mean, he has any any sure. reason to grow up or any means of growing up. I love the way he just tell me a story. You know,
3: mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. No, no, no. and um, you know, Bill Irwin plays Sukal, who's also um, known for a lot of really deep character work. I guess is probably the best way to put it. Can
2: <laughs> I ask, brother, if you guys know? I. I... I wonder if they're using like Unreal technology at this point, or if it's still uh, green screen on a on a stage.
3: That's know. a really good question. I know. Yeah. I know they made that full transition for season four, but okay. I don't know if okay. if they were able to, if they had access to the AR wall. Yeah. At any point later on in this season.
2: Yeah, I mean, imagine if if this was filmed in 2020, it was probably still. Kind of under lock and key at, at ILM.
3: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. In fact, this was actually mostly 2019. Oh, yeah. Well, of course, yeah. 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 Um, Here goes COVID so, yeah. is still I... just such a blur. I'm just like, <laughs> did really this just fun. come out?
2: I was... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, really.
3: Boy. But it's very cool to see. I, I've, I've not got to visit any sets yet, obviously, because, mostly because of covid um, but i've seen pictures from the set of using this ar wall and it is mind blowing <laughs> yeah that's great yeah and it's like what a gift for the actors too to just be in that environment
1: yeah 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 it's certainly better than acting opposite a green screen
3: yeah yeah and they had um there was a good sort of behind the scenes video that star trek.com did when season 4 started um that had some good you could see they had like the federation background was all done on the ar wall and so it really felt like they were in space
2: that's awesome i will forever defend the star wars prequels but i do uh concede (laughs) that uh especially actors at that point uh with all this new technology like acting against a green screen through them and you could tell that like a lot of these a plus actors were like what do i do i there's It's hard, you know, it's it's hard to do that. I mean, it's it's a different it's different style of acting, I guess, because you it's it's more like stage acting in a way. like you're uh, you're having to to constantly imagine where you're at in relation to the script and the scene and everything else. And, um, it's incredibly hard. Well, what's great too about sort
3: of the advancement of technology and and Star Trek is like, um i'm I don't know the specifics off the top of my head, but I've heard Michael Westmore and other makeup artists really speak great lengths about how the evolution of makeup has also you know from sort of latex and foam and and how that all has an effect on what they're able to do on what budget and to what comfort of the actors and uh and i think that's really seen in in these star trek uh current star trek series
2: yeah i mean even recently the the original uh design for saru uh came out and and it's you know more of a reverse triangle looking alien with like 80 eyes on it and, and even, yeah. even doug jones talked about how he he had to go to the producer and be like i don't i don't know if i can do this like this is, <laughs> this is a lot yeah <laughs> yeah um how
4: often did you go to the set lisa did you go at all or is it, it oh yeah I,
1: I would i would enjoy going down to the set nice. um you know it was, it was nice just to kind of meet the directors and the cast and the crew and and kind of get familiar with uh, the other creative types Mm -hmm. and it was just fun
3: yeah (laughs) it's Osira. well and it was all
1: local too right yes it was on the same lot yeah Yeah, so we just uh, had to walk across paramount and there it was yeah that's awesome
2: this is discovery and is still filmed in toronto isn't it it's uh, Mm
1: -hmm. yeah i'm
3: acting captain (laughs)
4: <laughs> I wonder, maybe I missed the thing where, were, where this was going to go. I'll just mention it now because I'm not sure if, if it already happened or if it's going to happen. But uh, one of the things that uh, Dr. Culver says in talking about Saru is that it seems to have gone through some sort of epigenetic modification. And and that was something that we specifically added in there because usually when you have exposure to radiation, what, what most science fiction does is they say like, oh, you have a bunch of mutations, which I mean, yeah, that can happen. But the problem is, the mutations you get in one cell are not going to be the same as the mutations you get in every other cell of your body. So it's it's you know if you're just scrambling things around, you're not going to suddenly become a salamander or turn into a spider or any of <laughs> these things like that. It's going to be it. it's going to be like cancer. <laughs> and death. that would be the result of that. And the way you could have, the way you could have something more coordinated is through epigenetic changes, which is which is basically. Like a chemical modification or some sort of modification of DNA it doesn't change those dna letters but changes how much product is produced so this can okay. happen through chemicals it can happen through re- radiation things like that but that can produce something that's a little bit more consistent where you know all the cells are responding kind of in the same way instead of completely haphazardly The analogy I like to do is what i like to say is you can imagine like uh, a book you know the words in a book being like your genes and how loud you read them is how much pr- uh, product you're producing. Mm-hmm. When you have an epigenetic modification, what's happening is you're essentially like striking out a word. So it's still there. You can still see it, but you're not
2: reading it as you read it. You should basically skip that word. Okay. And it's also saying like the, the words are still the same. Yeah, the words are right? still there. But it's a different accentuation of, of these various Exactly. Words, it's so. how
4: loud you read them or whether you read
2: them yeah. is altered by whether you strike them out using this word. So a human couldn't turn into a cube of salt. No. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> it, which I think is what they did in that episode of <laughs>
5: Oh, it was it that TOS thing? That, was yeah. Like like room room yeah. <laughs> that,
2: that was hilarious. Crushing the cute girl to death. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <What> was that was <laughs> sad. <laughs> oh, great. The cute, creepy monster's back. That's yeah. Yep. Thank
4: you. <laughs> so this is this is the piece now with that so that epigenetic modification what it did is it it um as he grew his vocal cords were different mm. from a normal kelpian so as he screams what, what ends up happening is he's screaming fundamentally different from everything else and screaming and this is the part now where it connects to dr aaron's piece He's screaming at what would be the resonant frequency of Dilithium, which mm. you know, presumably no other Kelpian. I'm assuming that on Cameran they scream sometimes, and like there aren't burns happening all the time from those. <laughs> Whereas on in this world, because of that change, he's screaming at that resonant frequency, which maybe potentially separates the the normal space and subspace components of Dilithium.
3: Yeah, yeah, exactly. So resonant frequency, I think people have heard, it's the sort of finger on the wine glass, walking a uh, breaking step on a bridge, you know, when you start to sway it with your steps, you're hitting that resonant frequency and it's accelerating. And that, that can happen with atoms and molecules as well. They have resonant frequencies. And, if, and so extending that, if you were able to uh, vibrate them at the resonant frequency, they could fall apart and destabilize. And so this idea that the dilithium crystals um, the crystalline component basically shatters when it's hit with this resonant frequency mm-hmm. because it's just amplified and amplified until it just falls apart. And so when he screams and you saw that sort of shockwave come off the planet and hit the ship, that was that's uh, hitting them at a resonant frequency that then affects the dilithium, which uh-huh. I don't think... Did this ever make it into a line? I think maybe one or two lines. <laughs> yeah,
4: no, I, th- I, think, I think it ends up getting... I understand because, again, the this, this sort of yeah. PowerPoint presentation didn't make it in. <laughs> <laughs>
3: yeah, but, it, you know, but none of that's a, a bad thing. Again, you try to keep the pace with the story. And I know, like, I think it's the next episode where Colbert's kind of going into more detail. I mean, there was just one... It was like one or two pages... That we just edited over and over and over again to try to find that balance of techno babble <laughs> to story because yeah. you can, because especially when it's happening at the climax of one of the acts, and it's like you wanna keep that pacing and it can just fall like a hammer if you get to in those weeds. So they didn't they didn't include a lot of that. None of us have a hard time about that. <laughs> I <laughs> totally think what's fine. been great is that we were able to Create this backbone of science um, Mm -hmm. for this whole plot. And so, I I mean, I had a lot of people reach out to me who who were really grateful that it wasn't just wavy magic, that those (laughs) little snippets of technology and and scientific language that got thrown in there was like, all right, I buy it. Wasn't (laughs) it
4: chlorines
2: Yes. Hey. (laughs) Just easy, Peter. (laughs) Many chlorines make all the sense in the world, goddammit.
4: (laughs) (laughs) Dr. Aaron had a great idea, too, that after the season was done, she suggested we write an article together for StarTrek.com, basically laying it all out. So it's a a nice supplement for people who don't go and see our convention talks where where they can read about the, the specifics that we were envisioning around this.
1: And learn I mean, about I would love
2: them. that. I, I, I think yeah. that would be a fantastic idea.
1: So yeah. that's on StarTrek.com? Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah, <laughs> if you just search for the science of the burn, StarTrek.com, it'll be there. That's the name of the article. You can learn about subspace particles, and, or subatomic particles and uh, gluons, and uh, I think we called them complex subatomic gluons or something.
5: Mm-hmm.
3: Uh, <laughs> and this, the complex was actually a more mathematical term that we chose because... Complex refers to in mathematics the real plane and the imaginary plane, mm. and actually the imaginary plane in mathematics is a really good analogy for subspace. Mm. And okay. so that was kind of the phrasing that we put for those subatomic particles that we use to science, dilithium, and uh, and dark matter.
2: That's fantastic. Even jinx. you know, <laughs> yeah, when Star Trek is is at its best, it, it it can inspire people to really pursue science. I mean, I constantly encountering scientists who, uh, or people in general, who just explore science because of Star Trek, and that's, that's such a powerful thing.
3: He the power. now, it's A lot of people we meet at these conventions are are exactly that demographic that, you know, we either mm-hmm. had a bad experience in school or were interested in doing something else, but still have an interest and a passion in, for science that just want to hear a little bit more, learn yeah. a little bit more about it. Yeah.
1: something Here, I think, you is where they're talking about uh, his cells acclimatized to the radi- radiation and and what you were talking about, sort of the epigenetic changes.
4: Syra. He might be about to say that or maybe just, I wasn't following carefully, he might have just said that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> if we leave Zipal alone, it is only a matter of time before the burn happens again. With your you know,
3: it's always episode. great when we've got good company and a good episode. Exactly. <laughs>
0: exactly. Yes.
1: <laughs> you have
0: a connection with her. Osirah is here. My responsibility is to discover i
1: So do you guys watch other sci-fi shows?
4: Oh, yeah. Totally. I mean, uh, I've watched the, all of the expanses you mentioned earlier.
1: Mm-hmm.
4: Um, so good. Yeah. Why does <laughs> so, it have to end? I know. I know. Right now I'm going through Station 11, which everybody kept on oh, saying yeah. is uplifting. I have to say, like, it is not uplifting. It is, good. Yeah. <laughs> it is not. I don't know how people keep on saying this was uplifting. Like, no, <laughs> not in the least, <laughs> but it's very good.
3: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Likewise, I finished the expanse. Um, I went back and I hadn't. I had like season two of lost in space kind of came out, came oh, yeah. and went when I was in the middle of other stuff. And so I totally forgot about it. And then season three happened. And I, so I just finished season two of lost in space, which is oh. really fun. We're Next watching season, season
4: three right now. Hey. <laughs> I <don't know> <laughs> I like we just watched an episode last night. <laughs> um,
3: but yeah, I just, I, yeah, I love science fiction. I love really character driven stuff. And, you know, I do think we were talking about what's, what we're missing with having those longer seasons is those like slice of life episodes mm-hmm. and those kind of stories i really love and when they're able to weave that in really naturally and i think discovery does do a good job now that the characters are settled we do get moments where they're hanging out in the mess hall together you know or um and uh and the expanse did that great too and they kind of all sit down to dinner i'm always like oh yay they're all friends Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Instead but of the I next just... catastrophe, that is. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. We all need a little bit of a breather. It's fine. Yeah, it's
4: very true. It's very true. Of course, earlier we saw we both saw Bell Star Galactica, Firefly, all the all the the, the big ones you'd expect mm-hmm.
1: too. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned For All Mankind, which is one of my favorites. And that shows good.
3: Yeah. I'm angry with myself that I slept on it for as long as I did, but I'm glad I found it. Um it's like one of these alternate history um shows and yeah i Mm -hmm. recommend it's
1: unbelievably good yeah
3: damn it what's happening down there damn it
0: i won't help you you can't use it without me what you want is irrelevant
1: no these are very menacing aliens also (laughs) quite as creepy as the monster on the planet but uh still pretty (laughs) pretty creepy pretty creepy it's
4: interesting, there's a lot of uh, like genetics and biology that come up in the episode outside the parts we talked to. And people often assume that like I had something to do with it. Like, nope, we pretty much just talked about the burn aspects and we didn't talk about the other things that, that just came in there. But I have to say they did a really good job, but I guess they just, they just knew it or they looked it up themselves.
3: <laughs> yeah, and they did. I remember, because when I was brought on for the whole franchise, I think they were just wrapping oh, season three. Mm-hmm. So it may have been right before they were filming this. And they just threw all the scripts at me, and they were like, "Please read these really fast and make sure we do not take anything up." <laughs> <else." laughs> and I think we did go in and do some like ADR little fixes here and there, but nice. nothing, yeah. nothing major. Yeah.
4: There's one ADR. I think they ran by me, but I remember actually trying to play it in the episode, and I can't even hear it. So I mean, I remember where it was <laughs> exactly. I played it really loud, I'm like maybe it's there. They said something. You're a
2: jumpy thing big fans of leather, this, this, uh, these people here apparently. Her green makeup is, like, amazing. Like, it doesn't... Yeah, you know, I was just about to ask. I was like, is this green makeup or is this a, a, a computer? Deck?
3: I think like she's, I think she's got a prosthetic on. I've okay. stared at this mm. a lot because it's, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I think it's, like, a minor, like, her jawline or her cheekbones or something they've done with the Orions to give them a little bit of a prosthetic. To make it blend in and make them stand out as a little clear, not just painted humans.
2: Yeah.
3: <laughs> yes. But yay! Oh, hey. they
2: were, they were <laughs> the rare 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 It's this was so much fun. I, I, the best part of having not one but two science advisors on the show is uh, I don't have to do much. I can just sit back and listen <laughs> to you guys uh, talk about science. And that's fantastic. It's, it's I part. love talking
4: with Dr. Aaron all the time. So.
3: <laughs> yeah, for Always sure. Can, can we ask you what your thoughts on the burn were? Yeah, please. <laughs> Put you in the hot seat.
2: Lisa?
1: <laughs> <laughs> I, I thought it was a little hand wavy, but I, I really appreciated that. Uh, I mean, the, the whole concept of, of resonance, you know, just made in into just made sort of sense, you know, as, as a general concept. And so I, you know, I was, I was certainly willing to go with it.
2: I, I too agree. I, I definitely loved hearing <laughs> you guys talk about it. That was the best part. And, uh, I, I, I kind of disagree though. I think it would have been better if they, uh, uh, gone a little more uh, into detail about it in the shows itself. Um, um, but that's just me, oh, and nice. I, I definitely hear the note on the other end. I think there have been times in Star Trek's history where they kind of get bogged down a little too much with Technobabble, and and it can alienate a, a certain uh, amount of the viewership. So, I, I, it's a fine line to walk, and I don't know what that, yeah. where, where that line is particularly, but... You know, no worries. Um,
3: no, but I, yeah, I, I think we're... Uh, what I'm glad is that there is an explanation there that I think, yeah. and like you said, yeah. the resonance stands out. I think a lot of people hear that and they're like, "Okay, like I, I kind of yeah. get that. Yeah. Right. that
2: yeah. I can understand that." It's a cool explanation, and it definitely it harkens back a lot to I think um, early Trek too. The, the, especially the TOS era, it was often a single entity that that was yeah. <laughs> responsible for some massive, you know, godlike powers or whatever. And it's, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's so totally. it's fun to it's fun to have that come back because I know like. Especially in the next generation, through you could say enterprise, they kind of go away from that a bit. With Q being the big exception, but it's like it, it, it was more about the specific alien um, as opposed to uh, you know the big the big uh, uh, magic like creatures. Hello, and Trelane, and all those guys. Yeah,
5: yeah,
2: Pretty yeah. sure. <laughs> um, yeah. So, uh, what what's next for you guys? Uh, more Star Trek, I hope. And, uh, for Star Trek. More Star Trek. Yeah, do we do More Star, Star Trek. Come? Okay.
3: Uh, no, I was going to say we worked on season four of Star Trek so Discovery. So we're in the middle of that. Um, and uh, all all of the Star Trek is coming. I think we're reaching a point, in fact, maybe starting now where there's not going to be a break for a really long time yeah. of any Star Trek. Um, so a that's wonderful exciting. A time to live. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then, yeah, for me personally, working on my writing, um, I'm... Like I said, I'm producing a staged reading we're doing here in LA next week. And then um, I'm producing a short film that I'm making with Mary Chifo this year. So stay tuned for all that fun adventure.
4: I mean, for me, I'm continuing. I mean, aside from my work at Duke, which I won't talk about that. But, <laughs> aside from that, my actual job. <laughs> I, have, I have my um, video series, the Bio Explained series, and and after season four of Discovery finishes, I'll bring back. We actually have already started recording, but I'll bring back uh, Jane Brooke, who played Admiral Cornwall. We'll do our Bio with the Admiral series, going over the science in season four of Discovery. So that'll probably launch end of March. We have to wait till the season ends before I can launch any of the any of the discussions on it. So. Mm-hmm. You can find that
1: on YouTube, right?
4: Yep, that's right. Thank you. If you just search for BioTrekkie,
2: B-I-O-T-R-E-K-K-I-E, on YouTube, it comes right up. Awesome. And Dr. Aaron, if people want to get in touch with you, are you on social media anywhere?
3: Yep, mostly on Twitter at Dr. Aaron Mack D R E R E. I-N-M-A-C. I will answer your
2: science questions and some of your Star Trek questions if I can. <laughs> <laughs> no spoilers. <laughs> yes, not <laughs> both at the same time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's fantastic. Well, thank you very much for being here again. Um, and listeners out there, you. if you'd like to get in touch with us, you can find us at Inglorious Trek on Twitter or at Inglorious Trek on Facebook or Instagram, and at Trek BR on Twitter and Trek Briefing Room on Instagram. Just created them last week, so hop on board because. Uh, love the followers. Um, and uh, if you'd like to give a subscribe on Apple, uh, Apple Podcasts and rate us five stars it would be much appreciated. Um, and before we go, we definitely want to thank our sound engineer, Mark Rivera for making us sound fantastic, as well as everyone at Electric Entertainment, including uh, Natalie Muscali and executive producers, Dean Devlin and Mark A. Altman. So for Lisa Klink and myself, want to say thanks for joining us. And the briefing room is now closed.
5: Scott, will you repeat what you just told us? About an hour ago,
3: bridge control started going crazy. shipped shifting by themselves. Buttons being pushed. Instrument readings changing.
0: And on my monitor screen, I can see Mitchell smiling each time it happened. As if his ship and crew were almost a toy for his amusement.